Hello and welcome to the Decision Intelligence Podcast with Cassie Kozakov. Here's your guide to overcoming confirmation bias. Read for you by the author. A few weeks ago, I published a decision-making guide to help you navigate the choices that you're grappling with during the pandemic. This week, let's talk about a nasty psychological effect that may be ruining your ability to cope effectively with the information that you're flooded with. It's called confirmation bias. What is it? Confirmation bias is the tendency to search for, interpret, favor, and recall information in a way that confirms or strengthens one's prior beliefs. Thanks, Wikipedia. Yeah, but what is it? It's this. Imagine that half of your room is full of objective facts, and the other half is full of stuff that confirms your beliefs. And that little middle bit where they overlap, that's the only part you actually see. You're blind to all the rest of the room. Now, if you're keen to nerd out on psychology, let's separate confirmation bias from some other phenomena. Confirmation bias, that's where your existing opinion changes how you perceive information. Wishful blindness is related, but the effect isn't through your existing opinion. It's where your self-interest changes how you perceive information, especially in the context of ethical decision-making. This is not to be confused with willful blindness, which is a term from law. And last bit of jargon, Filter bubble refers to intellectual isolation in online echo chambers. If an algorithm is designed to prioritize content you'll like, and you tend to like content from people who already agree with you, then you're less likely to be exposed to content that might change your mind. I won't bore you with advice on how to crawl out of an echo chamber. You've heard it all already. Something something, intellectual discipline to seek, something something, people who disagree with you. Right? Right. Wishful blindness is a tricky one, since it's a relatively new theory without much research on how to overcome it. Confirmation bias, though, has been on the dissection table since the 1960s, so let's focus on that. Filter bubbles are about skewed information, while confirmation bias is about skewed perception. Confirmation bias is not the situation where your social media feed agrees with itself too much. It's far more subtle. Even if you're exposed to information that disagrees with your opinion, you might not take it in. You might misremember it. You might find a reason to ignore it. You'll keep digging until the numbers you see are the numbers you wanted to see. The mind is funny like that. In other words, confirmation bias is the arch nemesis of data science, since it means that a fact is no longer just a fact, no matter how much math and science you throw into getting it. You and I can look at the same number and perceive it differently. Unfortunately, diligently exposing yourself to better information sources is not enough to overcome a problem that starts behind your eyes. You should be careful when it comes to trusting your own brain, that traitor. If you start with a strong, uninformed opinion and go foraging for information, you're likely to end up with the same opinion after you've finished. Why bother? Unless you fight confirmation bias up front and do things in the right order, your foray into data is designed to be a gooey waste of time. Confirmation bias and coronavirus. Confirmation virus? Anyway, in a nutshell. If you have strong opinions about coronavirus and then you go looking for evidence that supports them, you'll think you see it, no matter how outlandish those opinions are. You'll also have a harder time absorbing evidence that points in the opposite direction. To make matters worse, whenever you're panicking and you try to soothe yourself with a nice, relaxing internet session, you're likely to find more reasons to panic. Being quick to panic is not a virtue. While panic can give you an adrenaline surge, confirmation bias, one weird trick to boost your at-home fitness routine, Panic doesn't help you make better decisions. 
It's generally counterproductive, impairs your ability to think clearly, and does nothing good for your mood or your ability to cope with stress. No matter how bad your situation, level-headed realism will serve you better than panic. So let's talk about how to fight confirmation bias. The upshot is that a strong starting opinion can mess with both your decision-making and your mood. Luckily, there are four easy ways you can fight confirmation bias. Here we go. One, hold opinions loosely. Two, emphasize decisions, not opinions. Three, focus on the things you have control over. And four, change the order in which you approach information. Tip one, hold your opinions loosely. This one is perhaps easier said than done, especially if you've been stewing in headlines for a while. But it's good intellectual practice to keep an open mind and not take your opinions too seriously, even if they're based on plenty of data. Hi, Bayesians. Here's another bias worth knowing about. Overconfidence bias. Overconfidence bias is a well-established bias in which a person's subjective confidence in his or her judgments is reliably greater than the objective accuracy of those judgments, especially when confidence is relatively high. Thanks again, Wikipedia. Yeah, but what is it? Something you can reduce by developing the habit of holding your opinions loosely. The best decision makers I know are adaptable. They have the skills to take in new information and admit they were wrong. Before you run off to admire leaders who are unwavering in their judgments, steadfast and loyal, right? Take a moment to see them the way a psychologist sees them. They're so hampered by confirmation bias that they're unable to process new information appropriately. Or perhaps they're superb actors who are pretty wavering in their judgments, but are telling you what you want to hear. If you're keen to curb your own tendencies towards hubris, take a page out of the scientist's book. Ever notice how research papers in applied science are filled with caveats? Humbly reminding the reader about unknowns that could invalidate their conclusions? That's not a bad standard to aim for. Tip 2. Emphasize decisions, not opinions. In my uh, opinion... The best way to loosen the grip your opinions have on both your emotions and your decisions is to get into the habit of taking a decision-first perspective. If an opinion falls in the forest and no action is affected by it, did the opinion matter? It's through our decisions, our actions, that we affect the world around us. Imagine that I genuinely believe that the Loch Ness Monster is real. If my belief doesn't influence my interactions with the world in any way, what harm is there in it? On the other hand, if my belief does influence my actions, consciously or subconsciously, then perhaps I should evaluate my opinion in context of the actions that it stands to influence. That involves thinking about the actions, in order of importance, before the opinion, then forming hypotheses for testing as a second step. You can find my guide to that in the article Statistical Inference in One Sentence. Whenever you find yourself receiving new information, remember to ask, is this actionable? Will this information make me act differently? If yes, which of your decisions does it affect? And from there, you can now start evaluating that information appropriately. Tip three, focus on the things you have control over. When it comes to coronavirus, many of us already find our decision-making constrained by new rules. If we don't take a moment to recognize that some decisions we've been worrying about are no longer on the table, we'll waste unnecessary energy on opinions without a function. Wouldn't you prefer to focus on making decisions and plans about things that are under your control? Or to use that time on activities that bring you, you know, joy? For example, here in New York City, yeah, I know, I no longer have the option to go to the theater. Whatever opinions I had about how being in a crowded space might affect my health, and I do have such an opinion, loosely held from reading World Health Organization publications, there's no decision that I can make that takes that information as input. 
where am I going to find these crowds? We don't have them in New York City anymore. I no longer have the option to be in a crowd this month, even if I wanted to. That decision is not on the table. Since I don't stand to influence New York City's policy with respect to theatre in any way, perhaps I'd be better served by shifting my cognitive efforts elsewhere, away from the topic of should we have theatre or not, towards decisions that are on the table for me. Such as whether I should help out remotely, yes. Whether to order toilet paper online, no. (laughs) That's what all my textbooks are for. And whether to invest mountains of effort into filming an at-home video series about data science. Perhaps not, unless the videos I already put on YouTube get more traction. Stepping away from agonizing over things you can't influence isn't a call for ignorance. Compare the following ways to use your mental energy. 1. Worrying about a decision your mayor is grappling with while trying to think about how you would make it in their place. 2. Examining your mayor's decision skills from the perspective of a decision you're making about them. For example, whether to vote for or against that mayor's re-election. 3. Considering which actions you should take, if any, in response to or in preparation for each of the possible options your mayor is choosing between. And four, deciding whether you should try to exert your own influence or effort to affect the mayor's decision or its potential consequences. Of these, options two through four are the more useful perspectives, unless your interest is academic, while one is good practice for students of decision-making. You know, in the sense of, how would I make this decision if I were in charge and what skills can I learn here? but it's not an efficient use of headspace for the emotionally overwhelmed. Notice that the difference isn't a matter of being more or less informed. The difference is whether you're explicitly focusing your energy on decisions that are yours to make or influence. It's not in what information you seek. It's how you seek it. Obsessing over someone else's decisions is likely to leave you feeling powerless and inundated with ambiguity, especially if the person responsible for the decision has more information than you. If you find yourself taking perspectives like one during a high-stress time, shifting to two, three, or four might bring you some relief. And as a bonus, you may find that you have control over more than you realize. Tip four, change the order in which you approach information. Now that you're focused on actions and decisions, it's time for the big punchline. The strongest antidote to confirmation bias is planning your decision-making before you seek information. In other words, it's important to frame your decision-making in a way that prevents you from moving the goalposts after you see where the ball has landed. Curious to learn more? I have two articles for you to check out. One is called Data-Driven, Think Again, and the other is a step-by-step coronavirus decision-making guide. You can find both of those on my blog. I'm Cassie Kozarkov, and this was Overcoming Confirmation Bias, read for you by the author. If you had fun here, share this article with a friend. And of course, if you didn't, share it with an enemy. That way everyone wins. And I'll catch you next time on the Decision Intelligence Podcast.